Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Um, yes, we read the, uh, this section of the Beatitude, uh, Beatitudes again. And in that section, last time we looked at the uh, first statement, we concentrated on blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is a kingdom of heaven. Uh, and hopefully we help you to understand that particular statement a little better. Today we're going to be concentrating on blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it seems like it, almost an oxymoron right there in the very first uh, statement. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I would not necessarily look at life and say, oh, man, I am so blessed. I have another opportunity to mourn. Um, no, nah, I don't tend to think that way. And I su suspect that you don't tend to think that way. When we mourn, <sighs> well, our heart is heavy. And that statement mourning here in the Greek actually means a broken heart. And I don't know about you, but I have had the experience of having a broken heart a few times in my life, and I would not want to go back to any single one of those times, personally. But I do understand <clears throat> that having a broken heart sometimes is part of our life. For one reason or another, we go through pain, we go through disappointment, we go through difficulties, trials, whatever, it might be in our case. Um, but having a broken heart is not as something that is strange or uncommon to the human experience, is it? But we need to understand here what Jesus said and why Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Or if you want to translate it differently, you can translate the Greek into saying, blessed are those who have a broken heart. For they will be comforted. Now, that part we understand. Uh, you know, it, it's nice when you're comforted after you have a broken heart. It's nice when you find comfort somewhere. It's just not easy to see why Jesus calls that a blessing. So let's look into that and let's see how it affects us and what it means for us in our own life uh, today, because I think it's very, very important. The first question I would like to ask in, in terms of that is, who is that mourns? Well, I think that we understand it very easily if we think in terms of the person mourning as a person that is full of grief. <clears throat> We understand that mourning person is a person who may be crying, uh, weeping, groaning from within, from that broken heart. And, and I think we can summarize the meaning of this particular passage in this particular context with three illustrations of that. Uh, first of all, I, I think you probably remember when, when you were first confronted with your sins. 
because the first illustration is the way we are desperately sorry for our sins and our unworthiness before God in Christ. And again, I can't speak for your own personal experience, but I can speak for the general experience of some people uh, that I've had been honored to help in the process, including myself. And, and I remember the, the day that I came to be aware of the real person that I was. You know, I, I, I think that we all look at, tend to look at ourselves in a, in a mirror that is a little bit distorted. Uh, my wife in Florence, Italy, um, noticed that the mirrors that they use when, when you go and try some clothes on are not quite true. But in her case, it didn't work very well because she was a little thin and she wanted some clothing that made her look a little more full. But all the mirrors made her look thinner because usually it's the other way around. The people that are a little more full want to put their clothing and look a little thinner. So the mirrors distort the image just a little bit to make the person look a little thinner with that particular item of clothing. So they will buy it. It didn't work for her. She kept complaining. Oh, no, I don't like this one. So finally, in order to sell her a coat, the, the store keeper had to tell her, look, those mirrors are not really true. You don't look that way, okay? They're meant for, to, to make people look a little thinner. But in your case, that's not working to our, to our advantage. Well, in a way, it's, it's a little bit like us. We look at ourselves in a distorted mirror that makes us look a little bit more the way we would like to be than perhaps the way we are. We paint our own portrait in very bright colors and very nice colors until the day that reality strikes us and we find out that our colors are not that bright and not that pretty either. And when we find out who we really are and the kind of person we really are, I'm not saying, I'm not just saying what we do, because we can cope with what we do a lot better than we do when we find out who we really are. And I remember the broken heart I had at that time because God used people around me to help me understand and see the way I really was. And it wasn't a pretty picture. And I remember that not only people were showing me who I really was, but they were also dumping me every single time. And it happened quite frequently at that moment, in that period in my life. It seems like every friend of mine, every person, relatives and so on, would just do that. And, and so I had to take a hard look at myself and realize, man, I'm not the person I thought I was. And what I see in that mirror stinks. What I see in that mirror is, is something horrible, something that I don't want to see. I never wanted to see, but I have to. It's not a pretty sight. And so we are broken. We are broken in our pride. We are broken in our self-perception. We are broken in such a way that we mourn the loss of who we thought we were. And Jesus said, you are blessed if you mourn that, because that means that something good is happening in you. 
So, remember when Jesus pointed out something happening at the temple? It's in Luke 18 and verse 13. And the publican, standing far off, now there was a Pharisee that was going up forward and, you know, and say, God, I thank you for what you made me to be, that I'm not like these people, I'm, I'm this and that. But there was a publican standing afar off who would not even lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but hit his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This person was mourning. He was mourning and grieving over a realization of the fact that he was a sinner, an undeserving sinner. The good news, however, is that Jesus Christ said that he would be justified, not the Pharisee who said, thank God for making me such a good person as I am, and being all proud and boastful and full of himself. Jesus said that this man, the publican, the one who was mourning, would be justified instead. The second uh, illustration is a person who really feels the desperate plight, the, desp- the, the, the terrible sufferings of the others. And I think you can begin to see that as well, because if, if you can be in the presence of someone who is, whose life is falling apart, <clears throat> if you can be in the presence of someone who is suffering so much that the only way for the person to go th- to make it through that day is through injections of morphine. And pretty soon that morphine affects the brain of that person and the person doesn't even, it's not even coherent even when it's off the morphine. If you can look at these things and not grieve, then let me submit to you, there is something wrong. There's something wrong with the heart. There's something wrong because the heart is a heart of stone. The heart is too hardened, maybe by the experiences of life, to be sensitive to the other person next to us. And I, I, I remember, in fact, seeing that problem in some medical personnel. I remember one time in Italy, I I, I looked at nurses. I always enjoyed observing people, by the way. When I was a teenager, I would go to the railroad station, sit there for one, two, three hours, looking at people and trying to figure out what they were experiencing, what they were feeling, what they were thinking at that moment, just based on how they looked. Try to interpret them, trying to understand them. I've always enjoyed looking at people, studying people, and this time I was in the hospital and I was looking at the nurses. And I noticed that some nurses had compassion, some didn't. And, uh, well, out of that experience, I came out with a conclusion that some nurses had seen so much and that were shielding themselves from the pain they had seen around themselves, but that made them hardened, insensitive. Um, and they became non-caring. There were the uh, Helgas, so to say, 
um, type nurses, if you see what I mean. But there, were, there was another kind of nurses. The nurses that, yes, uh, were still caring. Generally, in that time, at that time, in my observation on that particular moment, were the younger ones, the ones that had not been working in there for so long, uh, the ones who were still caring, that you could tell they were much more compassionate and much more helpful to the people. And I think that if you look at it that way, you can see why Jesus says, blessed are you if you have the capacity to mourn because of the people suffering around you. Because that means that your heart is still sensitive. That means that God is still at work in you and you're allowing him and his compassion and his care to be at work in you. Not as the example of Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 9, verse 36. Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion for them. He grieved for them and with them. When he went to see Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who had died, he noticed the, the grief of the people around that, in that situation, and he, he cried with them. He grieved with them. In Matthew 14, in verse 14, it's written, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude that was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. In Isaiah chapter 63, in verse 9, it's written, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them and he, he buried them and carried them all uh, and carried them all the days of old. Nothing that God, notice that God is, participates. He, he invites us to participate in his presence, in his ministry, in his work, in his life, in his love, but he also participates with us in our ordeals. It's not absent. When you grieve, he grieves with you. When you hurt, he hurts with you. He knows that. And he participates with you and in you in what you're going through as well. And he calls us to be just as sensitive toward one another. And so he says, blessed are you when you grieve. Blessed are you who are experienced as sorrow. When you mourn, because you will be comforted, yes, but also because your heart is the way it should be. You know, you, you just walk down the street and see the condition that some people live in. And if you're not touched by that, then you better pray. You better pray and ask God to change your heart and give you a sensitive heart because there is so much heartache and so much pain around all around us that sometimes... Some days are particularly heavy. And then we look at ourselves and say, what's wrong with me? I should be happy and cheerful, right? Because everything is fine and all is well. I heard Christians saying that. I hear Christians all the time saying, well, if you're a Christian, you're not bothered by anything. Everything is cheerful. Everything is happy. Everything is wonderful. Yeah, you know what? No. No. Yes, overall, all is well with my soul. I understand that. 
And that's so true in the overall. But Jesus grieved with the people, and so do we. He participated in their sorrows, and so do we. And when he hurts, for crying out loud, he hurts. Why should we ignore that? Why should we pretend that he doesn't? Why can we be honest and sincere and say, Lord, I still love you, and I still honor you, and I still appreciate you, but it hurts. Look at the book of Psalms. Look at the way David expressed himself to God and says, Lord, how long are you going to wait before you give me relief from this pain that I'm experiencing right now? And so sometimes we pray, Lord, make your kingdom come soon because this is a mess. We are living in a mess right now. And all around us, all we find is sorrow and grief. And may the day come soon when you take charge of all these things and you fix the human condition so that all these things will be just a forgotten memory of the past. The third illustration I want to bring to your attention is that the person who experiences personal tragedy and intense trauma and recognizes that they are in need of God and turn to God and cries out to God and says, Lord, I need you. Jesus said, you're blessed. C.S. Lewis, in, in one of his books, wrote that, that that moment could be God's big megaphone to attract our attention, to remind us that we need him. Think about that for a second. Think about your own life. Think about your own experience. If everything was nice, everything was smooth, everything was without problems, you wouldn't even think of God. Remember when you were really crying out to God? Those were the moments when things hurt. Those were the moments when you fell down. Those were the moments when you didn't have anywhere to, else to turn but to God. And so you said, Lord God, please, please show yourself. Please pull me out. Please help me out because I can't handle this anymore. I can't make it. I can't do it. I need you. Please hear me out. And Jesus says, blessed are you. When you're mourned in that way, because you realize that you need God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we are reminded that the heart is so much better in a house of sorrow than it is in a house of happiness and joy. That's all right. It's just a feedback in the line. Don't worry about it. The heart of man is so much better in a house of sorrow than it is in the house of partying and happiness because in the party and the happiness, we forget. We forget what really matters in life. Have you ever heard an individual that had a close call and near miss and almost died? You know, usually what they say, wow, I never appreciated life as much as I do now. I never appreciated the simple things of life as I do now. I remember being in bed one time in my life for so long that I kind of lost track of the callers outside. And then I finally came, the day came when I could go out and it seems like I was being attacked by the brilliance of the callers all around me. 
and the foliage and the flowers and everything. It was so bright and the sunlight was so bright, so amazing, so awesome. But you know what? You don't appreciate that when you go about every day in your everyday life, when you're rushing from one thing to the other because your mind is taken by all sorts of other things. And there it is, however, still in front of us, the beauty of God's creation, the awesomeness of what God has done. It's just that sometimes we don't see it. So Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn because you are seeing things the way they should be seen. Because you see your need for God and because of the fact that you see that need for God, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be comforted because that need is going to be met. We are to mourn over our sins. We should do that. It's our job, our duty. Notice what is written in Luke chapter 6 and verse 25. Woe unto you who are well fed now because you are going to be hungry. And woe unto you who laugh now because you shall mourn and weep. Luke looks at the other aspect of that as well. And perhaps it helps us to get a little better story of what Jesus was saying in here. You know, what it means in here, what it's saying in here is that you go through life blissfully ignorant of the challenges of life, thinking that all there is is mirroring and happiness and gladness and partying and and having fun. And all the life is just uh, built around that fun and that pleasure. And Jesus says, woe unto you, because you're going to end up finding out that that's not the reality of life. You're going to fall from that pedestal, and you're going to hit the ground hard. And when you hit that ground hard, don't forget to look up. But if we are realistic about life, and we realize that not everything is fine. It's not just about fun, but it's about being faithful to God. It's about being loyal to Christ, who gave his life for us. It's about moving away from sin, not just basking in sin, completely oblivious of the fact that we are sinning, or knowing that we are sinning, but saying, hey, all right, I don't care. God is going to forgive me anyway, so big deal. Might as well just keep it going on. You know, the Apostle Paul, what he said? Should, we should think about that. It says, I'll be, should we continue to sin and maybe sin even more so the grace, the grace of God may abound even more? And he says, God forbid. That is not the way to go. That is not the way to be. What we read in here is the person who mourns is comforted by Christ himself. It reminds me of John 16. Verse 20, truly, truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because of her hours has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. If we find our joy in Christ, that joy is going to be fulfilled. That joy is going to be amazingly awesome, and no one 
can rob us of it. But if we find our joy in this world, if we find our joy in the things of this world, in the, in the pleasures, quote-unquote, of this world, then we're going to discover that those pleasures have a sting. We will experience the sorrow and grief that we haven't experienced maybe until that moment or that we try to ignore, perhaps. Paul also reminds us that it is a godly sorrow and it is a worldly sorrow. The godly sorrow is what Jesus was talking about in that morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 says, I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So notice that there is a will of God for us to be sorrowful about certain things so that that sorrow will turn into repentance. It will turn into change. It will turn into positive transformation in the individual so that you may not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret leading to salvation. Ah, Count me in. I want that. I want to turn around. I want to be purified. I want to be made different. I know it hurts sometimes. I know that is a sorrow. Yes. But it leads to salvation. It leads to that transformation. It leads to that change that we need to occur. But then he concludes, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world is a selfish sorrow that causes us to to complain and gripe that we don't have all the things we want to have. That we don't obtain all the things that we are striving for. I'm miserable because I don't get my $200 today. I only got $190. I'm miserable because you don't treat me the way I want you to treat me. I'm miserable because I didn't get my candy. You know, all right, when you were a kid, you might have been miserable and pouting because you didn't get the real candy, but then you grow up and whatever, whatever that candy becomes, all right, then you're miserable because you don't get the treat that you want. So what about the other part of the statement? Blessed are those who mourn. I think we're beginning to understand what that means. <clears throat> but the second part of the statement is because they shall be comforted. What does that mean? Well, there is a, a present comfort and there is a eternal comfort that he's referring to. The present comfort is a sense of peace. A sense of being settled at peace, a consolation that we have within us. John 14 describes this as follows. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, I give you in a different way. Let not your heart be troubled, and don't let it be afraid. That peace is what we're talking about. A peace that even though we're going through difficult times, even though we're going through major problems, we still have a quiet heart that is at peace in God because we know we're okay in him. 
And you know, if we mourn for the right reasons, according to God and not according to the world, God says that that's the peace we're going to be experiencing because, as we said before, that mourning, that sorrow that we experience leads us to God realizing and causes us to realize that we need God. And when we realize that we need God and start leaning on him and start really drawing from our fellowship in him, then that transformation within us takes place and we experience that wonderful and awesome peace. Yes, things happen to us. But we're not disturbed by them as we were before. There's a quietness in our hearts about that. Yes, Lord, I'm hurting. Yes. And please, by the way, if you can take this pain away, <laughs> I'm not going to be saying no. Please take it. But it's one thing to go through pain and kick and yell and, scry and scratch and bite. Another thing is go through pain with that peace, the peace of God in us. And it comes from that reliance. It is an assurance of forgiveness and acceptance from God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things that humans are most afraid of, and even when they don't realize it, because many people don't realize it, but one of the things that humans are most afraid of is the deep inside realization that we are not okay, that we are sinners. And with sin, it comes the dread and the fear of the consequences of sin. That is First John chapter 2, and verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things are right to you that, that you don't sin. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we can have that reassurance, that peace. We can have that quietness within us because we know that God has forgiven us. And we know that we are okay with him. But we don't need to dread the consequence of sin, because that has already been paid for us. It is a fullness of joy, a sense of God's presence and guidance that come from an understanding of his promises. For in Romans 8.28, we are reminded that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And once we really understand that, once we really realize it, that peace within us says, okay, I'm going through the heck of a time right now. I'm going through a terrible time right now. I'm going through horrible moments, but I know that somehow, in some way, even these horrible moments are going to turn out for good. And you know what? I'm looking forward to that good. Lord, please show me that good. Help me to understand. And I remember one time he answered that prayer and helped me to see that it was through the sorrow and the pain that I was experiencing that I was being made a little more sensitive to the sorrow and the pain of others. Why? Why would God want to make you and me more sensitive to the pain and the sorrow of others? It's written in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Mark it down. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Notice that, by the way. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in many afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Can you understand what that means? God enables us, allows us to go through the afflictions so that he can comfort us and teach us through our own experience how we can be of comfort to others. And what he's telling us to do is not to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is not to go to someone who is in affliction and say, okay, Luciano, find a new way of comforting them. No, it, what he's asking us to do is, says, Luciano, remember the way I provided comfort for you. Remember the way I did it for you when you were in affliction, when you were hurting. How did I comfort you? And now is your time to do it for somebody else. Now is your time to share it with someone else. Now is the time for you to be my tool and do what, to them what I've done to you, to give to them the comfort I provided for you. But of course, there is an eternal comfort as well. That eternal comfort that comes from the knowledge and the assurance that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know how futile our existence would be without that promise of eternal life that we have in Christ. How much good we would find in this life if, if that's all that we would have. In the best case scenario, we grow up we have a lot of fun, then we start aging, and everything goes south. The body starts decaying, things start not working anymore, and all that fun is gone, and all we are left is a regret of the fun that we could have had if we could stay young, but we didn't, because we didn't stay young. If that's all that we have in this life, uh, well, the Apostle Paul said we would be miserable. But thank God that's not all. We can look forward to a different time, a better time, a time when all the tears will be wiped away from people's eyes, when all the sorrow will be done and not be present anymore, where, when even death itself will be done and gone. And it will no longer be. It's a time where that comfort, the ultimate comfort, will be no long, not only present, but will be the, the new state of being and a time when that peace, the peace of God in us, will continue to increase forever and ever. And we can look forward to that. And so because of that, because of the fact that that comfort that Jesus talks about here is not just a temporal comfort that we experience in the here and now, but it's also an eternal comfort that we experience later, we can we can lean on that and we can understand it and we can draw from it even if we're told, Luciano, you have a terminal illness. You're not going to recover from this one. We can still find that comfort. You know, every single one of us is going to experience death one day. But the problem is not that. 
The problem will come if we experience that moment, if we approach in that moment without that hope, or if we do it with the hope, knowing that we're okay in Christ, knowing that our future, even after that death, is secure in Christ. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? And so again, in our mourning, we find that comfort. So blessed are you when you mourn in Christ. Blessed are you when you mourn because you realize your sinfulness and and you realize that you're not the person that you would want to be because then you can change in Christ. Blessed are you when you mourn because of other people suffering around you because then you're sharing in the love and the care of Christ. Blessed are you when you mourn because of your own experiences, realizing how much you need God because now you're fellowshipping with Christ who learned in his own personal experience what he meant to need the Father. And you will be comforted. You will find comfort and consolation right now in this life and you will find the most ultimate and most awesome and wonderful comfort forever for the rest of eternity where tears will be gone, where sorrow is going to be gone, where suffering is gone, where death is gone. That's what Jesus was pointing to. And that's what should move us as Christians to, to face this life in the correct way. That's what a Christian is. And next time we'll continue and we'll look at the gentleness that we're supposed to have. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's pray. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Thank you not only for the joys in life, but also for the moments of sorrow, for the moments where we experience a broken heart, because sometimes from that broken heart, you build something much better. From the shattered pieces of who we are, you build us again in the image, in your image, and in the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ability to experience the sorrow according to your will, a sorrow that leads to repentance and not a sorrow that is a griping and and dissatisfaction according to this world, which is a selfish sorrow that because we want more and we don't get it. It comes from our lusts, as you inspired your servant James to share with us. And Father, we thank you that we can experience the right kind of sorrow that turns us around, that is the first step in a transformation that needs to occur within us. But we also thank you for the comfort that you give us for that peace that you enable us to experience, for that fellowship that you have with us. Because in all of our afflictions, you're very present. So enable us as we go through our moments, enable us to experience your embrace, to experience your love, to experience your comfort, so that we can learn how we can comfort others in your name as well. We praise you for all this and we ask you that you would give us the right hearts and the right attitudes to be like you. 
And this we ask in Jesus' name.